You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. I want to introduce our speaker to you today. And I want to tell you just a little bit of a story and kind of my philosophy. If you are newer to the church, a lot of times you'll hear one of, one of myself or one of the other pastors communicating the message. But I have a core value based on the scripture and on the life of Christ that we are to help invest in the next generation of Jesus church. And so part of what I have a passion to do is raise up new leaders, raise up new communicators to be able to help us all find and follow Jesus. And one of the ones that you're going to be hearing from uh, has become a dear friend and uh, really my right arm over the last couple of years. Uh, Most of you probably don't know a lot of the things that go on behind the scenes to make these kind of environments happen, to make all the stuff that goes on as a church, you know, seven, eight hundred people coming on a weekend. And uh, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And for years and years, uh, I have had two incredible, uh, really God's gift to me uh, in terms of my right arm and administrative and leadership and helping me in the office to oversee a lot of the things that occur on a daily and weekly basis. And this summer, I had a transition from one of those assistants that really had been a blessing to me for several years. And I was really asking the Lord, Lord, like who, who could you bring? Who would you send? And very clearly... The Lord just brought to my spirit and my heart Ricky's name, and Ricky has been, uh, we've been in groups together, uh, and he, Ricky and his wife, Chrissy, came over a couple years ago now to Riverside. He has a call of God upon his life. When he was a, a younger guy, just a few years ago, the Lord called him to Bible College, and he went to Central Bible College, which is where our lead pastor, Bill Ellis, and uh, Donnie Marsh, our student ministry uh, pastor, also both went there. Uh, in Springfield, Missouri, where my wife and I are from. I met my wife at Central Bible College. Neither one of us attended there, but we met there. And so we know all the same restaurants. We have a lot of the same friends. He, he was While he was at CBC, he uh, was on staff uh, as an uh, intern at James River Assembly, which was where I was on staff before uh, I came here 17 years ago uh, to be a part of the preaching and, and leadership team here at the church. Um, from there, he went to seminary in uh, Dallas, uh, Dallas Theological, uh, in Texas, and uh, he has a huge heart for God's Word. I've uh, vet, met very few people who love the Word of God exactly the same as Ricky does. He's got an incredible gift of administration, leadership, and he has become that answer to prayer. And uh, one of the things that uh, I am so grateful for is not just what he does, but who he is, and for his uh, heart to shepherd and to pastor. And uh, I'm very something that I'll let you know about him as well is that he is um, colorblind. And we're, this, this message series, for those of you who are new today, the message series is right on the front, and it's field of vision. He has hideous eyesight, and he uh, is colorblind, and so we give him a hard time about that some, sometimes. I've been one, one time just a few months ago, he was up here, and he was looking for something, and I said, it's blue. And then I remembered, oh, wait, he can't see that. So anyway, he he teases me about that. We laugh about that kind of stuff all the time. But uh, I am so very grateful for him, for Chrissy, his wife. And it is my privilege to introduce you to him this morning. If you are ever in the need of assistance in the office, you'll most likely be hearing from him. He's our office manager, but he is so much more than that. Would you please give him a royal Riverside welcome as he comes to share God's word? Well, thank you. Thank you, David, for the kind words. It is indeed my privilege to be a part of this church family. 
And I would not, I would prefer to not be anywhere else. I'm just really happy to be here. Well, as David said, this morning we're kicking off our brand new series called Field of Vision. The title of my message is See the Potential. And David made reference to my poor vision, my poor eyesight. And I really do. If, you, if you've seen me around, you notice that I'm wearing glasses today. Normally I don't have glasses on. I'm wearing contacts. Some people like the way they look in glasses. They look awesome. I'm not one of them. I just don't like it. But they help me to see my notes better. And since we're talking about vision and talking about seeing, I thought it would be appropriate to wear them. David mentioned that I'm also colorblind. Not a good time of year to be colorblind. Everyone's always talking about all the beautiful colors and the trees and like the leaves and all this stuff. And I don't understand what all the excitement's about to me. I mean, it's kind of earthy. Is that a color? Earthy? Seems like it to me. Well, we are here in fall, in the fall season. Some people love it. Some people like Donnie Marsh hate it, but I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. I love the fact that fall brings this change in weather. The cool, fresh, crisp air, pumpkin-flavored everything. I mean, are there pumpkin fans here? You like pumpkin flavors? I mean, I love it. I love pumpkin stuff. The bonfires, the pumpkin patches with the kids. Harvest time is fun, but not necessarily for everyone. Harvest time represents work for farmers specifically. For them, the harvest represents opportunity abundance. It represents their reward for all of their hard work. It's their very livelihood. But the thing is, there's a very brief window of opportunity to bring that harvest in. Timing is everything. If they go out into the fields to to collect their harvest too soon, the crops aren't ready. If they wait, they've squandered their opportunity because because the crops have spoiled But farmers aren't the only ones who know a thing or two about the harvest. Jesus spoke at length about the harvest, and we're going to look at two of those passages today. First, we're going to turn to John 4. And in this story of John 4, what we see is Jesus in his close circle of followers. They're his disciples, the ones that are most close to him. And they're traveling from Judea, and they're traveling north to get to Galilee They have to navigate through Samaria to get there, which is not the favorite place to be if you were a Jew. As Jesus and his disciples are traveling, they come upon a well. And it looks like it's a great place to just kind of kick back and relax and and rest for a little while. So Jesus does just that. And when he does that, his disciples go off into the town because they're going to look for some groceries. They're hungry and they need some food. So they go to do that. And what happens in the coming moments is pretty awesome. Jesus has an unlikely encounter with an even more unlikely person. It's a Samaritan woman. And this woman was kind of outcast by her village. The fact that she was there alone indicates right off the bat that She was maybe the black sheep. Other women should have been with her at the well, but they weren't. So Jesus talks to her, and as he's talking to her, it becomes clear that she had five previous husbands. And the man that she's currently living with isn't even her husband. 
But Jesus is able to look beyond all of that because she was in Jesus' field of vision. He saw her differently without the regard of others. He saw her as someone that he created in his father, that, well, that God created in his father's own image, someone that mattered. Through this encounter, Jesus makes it abundantly clear to her that he is the Messiah, the chosen one, and her response to that is awesome. She takes off and goes back to her village, and she proclaims to everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. Meanwhile, the disciples, they got back, and they kind of caught the tail end of that thing. And they're sort of scratching their heads, and they're thinking, like, really, Jesus, a, a Samaritan woman? So one of the disciples reaches into the bag and pulls out some food. And he said, here, Jesus, have some food. And I love Jesus' response. Look at it with me, if you would. In John chapter 4, verses 34 through 38, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others labored, and you have entered into their labor. So here Jesus was talking with his, like I said, his inner crew. The, the, these disciples who were very close to him, and he's talking to them, and he's giving them instruction on how they should handle the harvest. But when we go to Luke 10, Jesus is now expanding his ministry to include all of his followers, not just the select few. He's empowering them to go with the message. And so now he's sending out 72 of his followers. He says this in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go. So Jesus here, he's using the metaphor of the harvest to get us to see the potential that we have to reach people who are so much closer to Jesus than we might think they are. Would you bow your heads with me? God, please help us to see what you see. Open our eyes to the harvest fields around us. We ask that you would broaden our field of vision for those who are ready to come to faith in you. Amen. So Jesus commands his followers with three things. He says, I want you to look, I want you to pray, and I want you to go. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So back at the well, the disciples were so like, worried about food, and they wanted to get something to eat. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But in life, we tend to be so self-serving and so focused inwardly on us that sometimes, even in the midst of all of the day-to-day -day normal things that we have to do, if we're not careful, we miss who God has placed in our field of vision, and we miss that opportunity. 
So how then do we take the focus off of ourselves and increase our field of vision? How do we see the potential that Jesus sees? He tells us to look. In John chapter 4, verse 35, he says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The disciples, they had to see people differently. They needed to see Jesus the way, they needed to see people the way Jesus saw them. They were inwardly focused, thinking about their own needs, and they were almost about to miss a miracle right in front of their eyes. All they could see was that woman. That Samaritan. But Jesus saw someone that he loved and someone that he valued. Despite what everybody else thought about her, he saw someone who was spiritually thirsty, someone who recognized their need for a Savior, and someone whom in a very short amount of time he would lay down his life for. The second thing that Jesus would have us do is pray. He says in Luke 10 verse 2 he says the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest so here is the dilemma the reality is this there are far more people who are ready to come to faith in Christ than those who are willing to go and tell them about him I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Romans, chapter 10. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Friends, we need to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. What does Jesus mean by that phrase? Pray earnestly. He's saying to pray with intent, pray with determination, pray purposefully, with resolution. And he also uses this phrase, Lord of the harvest, He's saying it's God's harvest, not ours. It's God's kingdom, not ours. And so Riverside, he's asking us, are we burdened with the things that burden the heart of God? God sees the fields in our communities that are ripe for harvest. And he is asking, who will go for me? So I think... If you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time and you've been coming to church and, you, and you've been hearing the word preached to you, you know, and, and, and chances are you're probably more than comfortable with the first two points, right? Look. He wants you to look. So everyone's like, hey, I can do that. I can do that. I'm, 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 I'm open to that idea. And then he says, pray. Okay. We're praying people. That's what we do. You got it. We can do that. But then he comes to the third point. And it's go. Now all of a sudden, everyone gets a little hesitant. He says in Luke chapter 10, verse 3, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. 
What is he saying here? I mean, he says, I am sending you out. And in the original language there, what he's saying is, I am thrusting you out. It's forceful. It's not optional. It's a command. I'm thrusting you out, almost as if it's for your own good. It kind of brings to mind the idea of a mother bird pushing her baby bird out of the nest. But at the same time, while it's a command and while he's pushing us, isn't it a privilege? It's a privilege that we get to be a part of this thing. Right? You've got this infinite, all-powerful God who has created everything, including you and me. He doesn't need us to do his work for him. He doesn't need that. No, he wrote the story that way intentionally because he wanted us to be a part of it. He wanted, us to, he wanted to bring us in to the mission. It's a privilege. And he says, like lambs, among wolves. What's that all about? You would think like, hey, Jesus, maybe, maybe you could spin that a different way. Maybe you'd get more volunteers. But Jesus is so transparent, and he's being clear that sometimes you're going to feel vulnerable. Sometimes you're not going to feel prepared. You might be scared. I mean, do you think this is easy for me to stand up here and do this this morning? Because it's not. It's not easy. I feel vulnerable, and I'm nervous. It takes me out of my comfort zone. But even though that God has called me to do something, doesn't mean that he makes it easy. And that's the truth for you as well. Some of you probably have the same objections about going and telling somebody about Jesus that I feel about standing up here. Well, what if they reject me? What if I don't know what to say? What if someone asks me something and I don't know how to respond? What if I screw up, but I'm not good enough? Surely there's somebody out there who can do a better job than me, right? That's, That's what we say. Like Moses, we tend to say, Lord, can't you send someone else? Isn't it the pastor's job to go and tell people about Jesus? So yes, Riverside, we are indeed the lambs among wolves, but we have a great shepherd who goes with us, and that shepherd lays down his life for you and I. You know, we, we, we tend to walk through these biblical stories and we're so removed by culture, so removed by thousands of years that we tend to wonder, well, what does that look like for me? How does that play out? So I thought this morning I would take just a couple of minutes and, and kind of share a personal story about how this played out in my life and with my family. It starts with my wife, Chrissy. Whenever she was in the ninth grade, she had an awesome friend, and her friend's name was Amy. And Amy was a follower of Jesus, and she would come to Chrissy every week, and she would tell tell Chrissy all about Jesus. And she would say, you got to come to this Bible study that we have at church. It's awesome. you got to come. You'll love it. You'll love it. And Chrissy kind of kept making excuses. Oh, yeah, okay, well, maybe another time, or I'm busy, or whatever. But eventually, Chrissy took her up on the offer and said, all right, I'll go. So she went, and she loved it. And she came back week after week after week. And through that, God brought her to faith in Jesus. 
At the same time this is playing out, Chrissy's parents, unfortunately, were going through a divorce, and her dad desperately wanted to spend time with her. So, she, so her dad would say, when can I see you? What can we do together? And Chrissy was like, hey, I need a ride to church. So he said, okay, I'll take you to church. So every week, week after week, he would take Chrissy, pick her up, take her to church, and he found out that he loved going too. And through that time, God brought him to faith in Jesus as well. This is about the time where I enter into the picture. I remember the day like it was yesterday, although it was over 24 years ago. But I remember stepping onto the school bus, and in my field of vision, I remember seeing Chrissy. And I was like, she is cute. I would, I would like to date her. So I got to, I got to uh, talk to her, and, and eventually, and I got to find out a little bit more about her. And I, thought that, and I found out that she was, uh, really had her heart set on only being with somebody that was a serious follower of Jesus. And that wasn't me at the time. Now, I was raised in a religious home, and I was raised to believe in, in God, and I did. But I would say, if truth were told, I was more of a fan of him than a follower. But God put me in Chrissy's field of vision, and she began talking to me about Jesus and what it meant to have a relationship with him. And she continued to talk with me. She bought me my first Bible, and she invited me to go to church with her. And so I started doing that. I would go with her to church every week, and eventually God would use that to draw me to himself and give me faith in him as well. And Chrissy has an older sister, and her name is Jenny. Every morning at the bus stop through high school, Chrissy would talk to Jenny about Jesus and say, and tell, and tell Jenny what it meant to be a true follower of Jesus and how she can be sure that when she died, she'd go to heaven. She talked to her about the consequences of those who decided not to follow, those who decided to just reject him and walk away. Jenny just continuously pushed Chrissy away and said, yeah, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But if we fast forward 10 years later, Chrissy gets a phone call, and it's her sister Jenny. And she's saying, hey, you know, you used to talk to me all the time about Jesus, and I have some questions for you, and I was wondering if you could answer them. And Chrissy was able to talk to her again 10 years later about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And Chrissy directed her to a couple of resources, some different books, and Jenny went and read those. And through all of that, she too came to faith in Christ. Can you see the ripple effect of how this works? Today, Jenny is the president of a national evangelistic um, ministry that is based on college campuses all across the country, and she's reaching thousands of people for Jesus, all because of one girl who was Chrissy's friend who had the courage to step out of her comfort zone and invite Chrissy to a Bible study doesn't sound so scary when you put it that way. But look at the impact, right? Look at what that has done. My question to you is who has God placed in your field of vision? 
Who has God brought to your mind? Even as I'm speaking this morning, has the Holy Spirit brought someone to mind in your life who was in your field of vision? And maybe you've just said, you know what, they're so far away from Jesus that I don't think this thing's ever going to happen. And you've kind of blocked them out. Maybe it's your own spouse. Maybe you have a kid that you raised to believe and they've went away on their own journey and have turned their back on their faith. Maybe it's a coworker, a neighbor, a friend. Maybe it's even a complete stranger. But I would ask, who is that person or persons that God has placed in your field of vision? I'd like to ask Trey and the worship team to come back. And as they do that, I want to continue on the story where Jesus is talking to those 72 and he's giving them some more instruction before they go out. He's going to answer some questions as we go through the passage. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to actually read through all of them, but I will summarize it and let you know exactly what he's saying. So verses 4 through 7, he's saying, he's answering the question, how are we to go? Jesus says, go humbly. He says he'll provide for you, but here's the thing. He says, don't get sidetracked. Stay focused on the mission and focused on that person whom he's placed in your field of vision. He also says to find a person of peace. And by that, he means find someone who's receptive to the message. Don't spend your time arguing with somebody who just wants to pick a fight. Somebody who doesn't want to hear it. Somebody who is constantly being hostile to you and your message. Find someone receptive. In verses 8 and 9, he answers the question, well, what are we to do when we find that person? He says, I want you to build a relationship with them. I want you to lay down roots. He says, be authentic and genuinely care for them. I want you to pray for their needs. But it's not just about being a good person or being a friend or living out Jesus in front of them. There comes a time where you have to actually open your mouth and speak. And that's what he says in verse 9. He says, well, well, the question is, what do you say? And he says, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Well, to Jesus' hearers, that was a jam-packed phrase, and it included so much. But the gist of it was, it's the hope of salvation. The Messiah has arrived. And to us, when we say that the kingdom of God has come near to you, Jesus is saying, tell them about the cross. He's saying, tell them the gospel. He's saying, tell them what happened. Tell them that I created them and I love them. And I created them and we were in this perfect com community together. But then sin entered in and drove a wedge between me and them. When that happened and we sinned and fell short of the glory of God, we got our ticket to hell stamped and we're without hope. But Jesus, being rich in love and rich in mercy, had a plan in place since the beginning of time. This didn't throw him off or catch him off guard. He sent his only, God sent his only son Jesus to be born of a virgin and to live a perfect and sinless life and during his life on earth he would fulfill over 300 prophecies 
just so that we could know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was the one. He was the chosen son of God. Jesus would pay the ultimate price for the sins that you and I committed. He would hang on the cross, and while he's hanging on the cross, God the Father pours out his wrath on his son. The same wrath that you and I deserve for living in rebellion to him, for our sins. Jesus took that penalty upon himself. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, ascended, and he lives today, and he reigns on the throne, and he's coming back. And in light of all of this, we now stand holy, blameless, pure, righteous, before our Heavenly Father. Not because of anything that we did. Not because of the religious things we do. Not because of our white-knuckled attempts at trying to clean ourselves up. But only, only because of the grace of God. In verse 9, in verse, I'm sorry, in verse 10 through 16, Jesus answers the question, well, what if they don't believe? Friends, the harsh reality is that repentance is necessary, and there are consequences for those who say, yeah, you know what, it's just not for me. I don't want to believe, or I'm going to do my own thing, or I'm going to do what I think's right. There are consequences for that. But you have to find your peace in the fact that God is the Lord of the harvest. It's our responsibility to go and tell him about him, but he does the saving work, not us. Jesus is their savior, not you, not me, not Pastor Bill, any other communicator, Pastor David. Jesus is the savior. And so, Riverside, I want you to lift up your eyes and see the potential that you have to make an impact in eternity for the kingdom of God. Are you willing? Look, the harvest is ready. Pray, workers are needed, and go. The time is now. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the clear direction that you give us in the Bible. Thank you for calling us to be your workers in your harvest fields. Would you please broaden our field of vision? Help us to see the potential that you see. Help us to look beyond ourselves and our circumstances and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. Father, I pray that Riverside would be a church marked by prayer. That we would passionately seek first the kingdom in all that we do. And lastly, I pray that Riverside would be a church that is resolved to go. That we would be a church on mission and have the courage to step out of our comfort zones and into the harvest fields.
It's all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.